Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Where is the spiritual battle today is what we want to ask. I mean, is it in D.C.? Is it in the secular universities? Is it is the battlefield in Hollywood? Well, today we're going to discuss how the real uh, battle for today is actually right in the church. And so welcome to the Steve Noble Show. Uh, I will be your host uh, Renton Rathbun, I'm sorry, uh, Steve is not here, but before you turn that dial, um, I uh, promise you that you are going to love this this hour. We have a very special guest with us today, and she is a former professor um, of English and Women's Studies at Syracuse University. Uh, she was a defender of the LGBTQ plus community and was even identified as a member of that community. In her quest to expose Christianity as a disingenuous kind of failed argument, she was converted miraculously to Christ in 1999 through the ministry of a loving pastor who had become like a father to her. Her, uh, her memoir is in a book entitled the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, uh, the chronicle, that chronicles her journey. Uh, today, we have with us Rosaria Butterfield. Um, her husband is Kent Butterfield, uh, pastor of the Reformed Presbyterian Church in North America up in North Carolina. And she is a, now a homeschooling mother and author and speaker. And she is going to tell us uh, and we're going to discuss a little bit about her new book coming out. Rosaria, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Renton. It's good to be here, and good to see you again. Well, thank you. Um, the uh, The book that's coming out uh, this summer, can you tell us the the title and a little bit about what it's about? Yeah, yeah, and I think it's coming out in September because oh, I... Okay. I'm doing the audiobook this summer and oh very so, cool. You know it is. You have to wait on the homeschool mom, right? It's all ready <laughs> to go, but I'm not ready to go. So here we go. Um so the book uh the book is called Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. And um it is a difficult book. It was a difficult book to write and um I it's uh I hope not. I hope it's not a difficult book to read, but uh, I don't know. You've read it, so you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this: while you're while you're talking about it, what you say it's a difficult book to write? What made it difficult for you? Well, it involved a lot of my own repentance because, um, uh, you know, I certainly was I, I, one of those radically converted people. And I was a lesbian activist when I met the Lord, and um, and then I quickly became a defector, 
to the LGBTQ community and um, and it was rough. I mean, it was very, very rough. I was the first, one of the first crop of tenured radicals. So um, there was a lot hanging on the line. What I say in um, my memoir is that I lost everything but the dog. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's true. I actually did not lose my job, which is interesting. Um, because that was 20, that was, that was, because that was not today. How should we do yeah, that? that's right. <laughs> um, but, um, but I, I did end up leaving my job for something, something greater and something better. And that was to marry Kent Butterfield and become a mm. church planter's wife. So, um, mm. um, and I do, and I mean that sincerely. I mean, I think that one of the, the one of the things that I had to learn is what is a mature woman? You know, what is mm. it, what does it mean to be a mature Christian woman? And what it means is valuing the creation ordinance. Um, yeah. and, and so anyway, but, but, so I was radically converted, but my sanctification came slowly and I have mm. made many, many, um, sinful moves publicly as mm. a Christian intellectual and as an advocate for Christ. And so mm. one of the reasons the book was painful is I have to start with a bunch of my own repentance and i don't mean the repentance from decades ago i mean mm. the repentance from right now mm. um repenting for my my use and my advocacy of transgender pronouns repenting of of my uh really just the sinful attack that i took against reparative therapy um mm. you know and countless other things so yeah. so Hard was you know because you know because the book really started with the question why is there a civil war going on in Christianity? Mm. My enemies are not Christ's enemies. Why are we at war against each other? Oh, there's an Aiken in the camp. Oh, I'm Aiken. You know uh. that makes for a rough start to a book. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know you would when you when your first book came out, you know I think there was this huge hunger for for an author that has lived a life and then able to to see a real conversion and then to have an honest conversation about this and all that sort of thing. And there seemed to be a lot of acceptance at first. How do you feel things, or do you feel things have changed as far as the temperature towards, towards this kind of talk and what you're doing in this new book? Yeah. Well, here's, I think here's what's really changed. Um, when I came to Christ, I came to Christ in a church with a pastor and elders and Christian women who were gathered around me. And the idea was I was going to, uh, you know, I was a new creature in Christ. And what that meant was as a born again Christian, I was going to grow in sanctification and no longer be gay. Hmm. And that's true. You know, that's, that's really what did happen. Now it didn't happen, you know, like that. It wasn't like I was, you know, and the next day, Rosaria woke up and put her feet on the floor and she no longer felt like a lesbian. That's not <laughs> what happened. Mm. Uh, sinful feelings, especially sinful sexual feelings, they 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 root deeply um, and mm. they need to be dug out and dug out and dug out. And, you know, and, and, and you you spent you develop a new Ph.D. topic in learning how to hate your sin without hating yourself. And mm. it's rough. And it mm. took a while. Um, so I'm not saying that it was instantaneous, but it is true. What is true is that a truly converted person does not pretend that the Lord Jesus Christ made an ally with the sin he crushed on the cross. 
and therefore it's okay to be gay and Christian or even possible to be gay and Christian. And so what has, what has happened, and I... Let's get going with these questions before we, before we go, uh, before we go with the questions, um, give us a quick summary of your book. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really just wanted to understand why the civil war had broken out in, uh, you know, in evangelical Christianity. And so the book comes up with three reasons. And from these three reasons, um, the evangelical church has normalized five lies. And so that's really it. And so the three reasons, you know, because it is a good question, I think, right? Why, if my enemies are only Christ's enemies, and if Christ is not divided, why are there enemy lines within Christianity? Yeah. So my three reasons were, um, you know, we have really failed to see that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden. We've acted mm. as though the New Testament can just kind of orbit, orbit without the creation ordinance, right? Oh, man. Um, yeah, that's right. Um we have failed to read the times. We say things mm. like, oh, it's always been this bad. No, we're downstream of a Bergefell, Bostock, the mm -hmm. quote unquote, respective marriage act. When sin is codified into law, these are different days. Um, mm. And we've actually, we've failed to love our enemies. And instead we've pretended that our enemies are our friends. Mm. And God doesn't call us to call our enemies friends. He calls us to love our enemies. Mm. And then that has launched these five lies. You know, the first lie is that homosexuality is normal. The second lie is that pagan spirituality is kinder and gentler than biblical Christian mm. faith. The third lie is feminism is good for the church and the world. Mm. The fourth lie is transgenderism is a normal gender variant, you know, for some people. And the fifth lie is that modesty is an outdated um, expectation from the patriarchy and the toxic oh, masculinity. Yes. And, now um, we're getting triggered. And it, it shall be defied. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, so let's, let's take the first, the first lie. Okay. Um, you know, I, I am the director of the center for biblical worldview at Bob Jones university. And our understanding of what a biblical worldview is, is that it, takes that meta narrative of scripture the creation fall redemption uh narrative and try to see it as a world view and narrative is very important um to us because i think we are um we're story people mm -hmm. um is how god made us this is why i wrote the bible the way he did so tell us how has the world made homosexuality normal and and in that um, explain to us this idea of intersectionality thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the world has been trying to make sin normal from the garden. So it's not, this is not a new idea. Um, and as a story person, you know, I love in, in uh, Paradise Lost that, that uh, you know, Milton creatively suggests that Satan first comes as a little frog, you know, chirping in telling a story, right? Chirping into yeah. ear. But I would say, you know, some pretty big profound changes happened um, with modernity and specifically in the 19th century um, with this idea that a person is, um, a person's feelings are 
are inherently true about who that person is. And we can go back to Freud and Marx and Darwin um, and Hegel and um, German Romanticism and um, and Carl Truman, you know, raises some of these things in his uh, book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Basically, just the idea that that um, your feelings are an epistemological truth and mm -hmm. they tell us not only what you like or what you dislike, but who you are. So your feelings have some kind of an ontological power. And what that does is it stands over and against what the Bible calls uh, identity, and that's in the image bearing of a holy God. So you mm -hmm. find your identity in Genesis one twenty seven that God made you in the image of God. And what what um, what a kind of loopy um, heretical church will do is is confused being made in the image of God with being made as the image of God. And so mm -hmm. when you hear things like, well, you can't deny, you know, you can't deny gay marriage, gay people are made in the image of God. Well, what people what, what you're hearing there is that 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 homosexuality, which is a sinful manifestation of the world, the flesh and the devil, is somehow part of image bearing. It can't mm -hmm. be part of image bearing That's because right. God has no sin. Mm -hmm. So we grow in our identity as as a man or as a woman so you have mm -hmm. really two options and we know that maleness and femaleness that our our sexed bodies are ontological because we will be mm -hmm. men and women in the new jerusalem mm -hmm. and so when our bodies are raised they are in fact uh they have an our our our, our sexed bodies have an ontological imprint now for for some of us we might hear the word ontological and we might think I'm not sure what what she means by that. What's yeah. ontological? Yeah, it 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 has to do with your beingness mm -hmm. and um, the idea that God made you and He redeemed you, and when you are when you are dead, He will when He returns, He will raise you, um, and that there will be a ontological or a a thumbprint of the of god himself in your being mm. um and that is and, and that is the knowledge and the righteousness and the holiness of the lord jesus christ mm. so that's and like the most fundamental part of what we are it is the who yeah it is the who you are who you are and mm. and this becomes uh, profoundly important of course when we are trying to deal with sin Mm. our sin and other people's sin um, mm. and if we're talking about you know which is the you know the idol of the day transgenderism you know I, I would say the very best news of all that you could say to someone who is lost in their transgendered sin is to after you have shared the gospel remind them that when the lord jesus christ returns and our bodies are raised in in glorification and righteousness Whatever mutilation you've done to your body isn't mm, there. That's right. That now we have. Are, oh, go ahead. No, that you are the man you were meant to be, or the woman that you were meant to be. That that our sin doesn't mock God. God yeah. can't lose. That's right. So we have about one minute left before the next break. Can you tell me in one minute? Um, how this has kind of seeped, this normality that we see out in the world, how has that seeped into the church and through whom? 
Right. Uh, through Side B Christianity, through Revoice, through figures like Preston Sprinkle, Mark Yarhouse, Christianity Today hasn't helped. Gospel Coalition has not been our friend. And we can also not fail to mention David French. Wow. Okay. Wow. So when we when we come back, what we want to talk about is maybe um, something specific like Revoice. Because, um, you know, we, we want to make sure we get some good grounding and everything, but then we want to see... How exactly does uh, something like homosexuality or even questioning our our gender or even something that has turned into the new argument is same-sex attraction bad? So that's what we're going to tackle as we come back uh, in just a minute. With Rosaria Butterfield, we are talking about her new book, The Five Lies. Let me make sure I get this right. The Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, which will be coming out in September. And we are talking about the kinds of lies that the church has begun to accept and has accepted through different people. Uh, different organizations that have been created. Uh, we have been talking about uh, how the world has made homosexuality and um, and gender questioning and all that sort of thing normal. But now it seems we live at a time where the church is starting to normalize these things. And one of the tools that have been used to do this is an organization called Revoice. Uh, Rosaria, can you tell us a little bit about Revoice? Yeah, absolutely. The, the premise of Revoice, which is an organization that was started in 2018 uh, by Nate Collins and someone else. I don't, I don't want to mention his name because he actually is no longer part of Revoice and is very happily biblically married now and doesn't, you know, but see, it happens, right? <laughs> it um, happens. But, uh, but it, you know, the idea is that sexual orientation is true that it is an accurate reflection of your ontological and phenomenological personhood. It is who you are. It is how you are. It is fixed. There are these weird anomalies like Rosaria and, you know, a few others, but other than that, mm. once gay, always gay. Mm. Um, they were very happy. It's a, it's a heretical organization and they were very happy to take, um, the various attributes of God, such as immutability, and mm. apply it to sexual orientation. And of course, because sexual orientation, it used to be gay and lesbian, and then it was bi, and then it was trans, and now it has 78 different flavors of this. 78? Now, let me tell you something. When your identity is based on letters... And you have more letter identifications than you have an alphabet. Hmm. You know, that's, that's nuts. 
Yeah. And so, um, and actually World Magazine, Mary Jackson did a fantastic job of writing a story about what Revoice is. And it came out, um, I don't know, sometime in 2022. So it was really, really good. Because I think everybody, or not everybody, but I think um, the broad evangelical church was really, you know, schnookered by them. Because mm. what, what Revoice said is, you know, we are faithful. We are celibate. We are not having, we are, we are, you know, this is a heavy burden upon us. We mm. are, you know, we are not having sex. We are not, we just like to go to gay pride marches and we just want to bring a little bit of gayness to the church because we are gay. Gay is who we are. And so in some ways it raises an important philosophical question. If gay is who someone is rather than how someone feels, that's a different understanding mm. of personhood than what the Bible offers. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it seems as though they are relying a lot on the philosophical outlook of the world to try and compose it into the world of religion, the world of Christianity. And Absolutely. It, I, I wonder, are they... Um, you know, the, the Catholic Church for a long time has associated sin only with activity. Exactly. I, I didn't exactly. act on it. But when Luther was standing there with the bread in his hand at the Mass thinking, who am I to hold the body of Christ? That's when the, the Reformation began. It began with realizing sin is in me, not just what I do. Exactly. Exactly. And so, quite frankly, if sin were only a physical problem— you would just need an app on your iPhone to like help remind you, you know, it, you know, but, but sin is an ethical problem and mm. sin is, um, it, it, it is a problem of desire. And so mm. we in the reform side of things would say that if you desire something that God hates, that is what the Westminster Confession of Faith would call a motion of sin. And the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that we indeed are responsible for our sin, including our original sin. We are mm. responsible for, for that. And the Gospel of John reminds us that we love the darkness. Mm. And so it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a self-help group that was meant to help the church become more gay-friendly on the idea that you would be able to build bridges with the gay community and you would therefore be better able to share the gospel. The problem is that bridge depended on you accepting the worldview of uh, the, that homosexuality is in fact a legitimate category of personhood, mm -hmm. that LGBTQ plus minus, et cetera, et cetera, is who someone actually essentially is mm. rather than a manifestation of the world uh the devil and the flesh yeah um from what i'm hearing it sounds like what you're saying is if we accept the sin of other people we're actually hating them absolutely and if we if we try to reach out and call people to repentance it's actually loving them now absolutely could you explain how they would differ from that view? Right, right, right. Well, what, what they would say is that they're not sinning. They would mm. say that being gay is not a sin, mm. that our feelings are not a sin. And so you can already see it's a theological discussion 
Mm. Um, you know, from, again, a, a reformed understanding of sin, we are dealing with um, original sin, actual sin, and indwelling sin. Mm -hmm. and um and indwelling sin is a bear we don't yeah. we are not kidding we, there is not a person on the planet who is uh is happy about a christian that is who's happy about indwelling sin it is a bear mm -hmm. and um but we are not to coddle it and we are not to um present it to ourselves our world or the church as something anything than what it is yeah. a sin that can send you to hell mm. so the real disagreement is over whether my feelings are sinful mm. and you know what's interesting is i i look at romans chapter one mm -hmm. and it condemns the activity for sure but it also says that their desires were evil mm -hmm. and and so I think what it, it seems like they're trying to make a difference between the desires that are sinful spoken in Romans chapter one and some kind of orientation that isn't a desire is just who I am. Right. Absolutely. So it's, it's fascinating, uh, too, if I can just sort of say you, you really know Satan's in this mix, because within Revoice, you have people who will say things like sexual orientation is who I am. Mm. And at the same time, you'll have someone on the transgender side saying, well, this body of mine, this physical body, that's just a psychological choice. Mm. And, and, you know, and, and so it, it is not loving to leave people in delusional states, mm. but it's also not loving, you know, we're called to make our calling an election. Sure. So it is not loving to make a bunch of false converts to a bereft Christianity with a Christ who has no power to transform you, your life and save you from your sins. Mm. That's not loving. That's deceptive. Mm. Do you think some of this has to do with the way the church has begun to see holiness as a pharisaical kind of way of looking at the world? And if we really love people, will will accept them as they are how do you think that translates into what scripture actually says about sanctification right absolutely well first of all i think that you know we are called to accept people where they are we just don't have to approve of them where they are <laughs> you know I, so i think yeah. in some ways you know you gotta you, you're supposed to live with your eyes wide open and that's mm -hmm. that's that's appropriate um but no i think that what the church the event the broad evangelical <laughs> church has done is import um, some ideas about uh, some psychological ideas about what it means to be a human being mm. and then added um, a very weak gospel on top of that mm. and yet you know from a again from a from a, a a a christian a real you know like a real christian perspective these are there are a lot of red flags. Um, a number of the people in Revoice don't believe in a um, eternal hell. Mm. They don't. There's a, there are all kinds of doctrinal errors. You know things that would actually prevent that person from mm. being. Um, you know, I don't know a, a member of my church. And mm. so we just have to you know really ask the question: Do we believe that a Christian? is a Christian just because you say you are. Yeah. Or you have to have fruit. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, when we come back, um, I'd like to talk more about that idea of fruit and knowing whether, you know, what a Christian is. And what I really like to do is kind of think about the difference between orientation. All right, well, welcome back. Um, we are with Rosaria Butterfield, and she is uh, talking to us about her upcoming book, the Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, which will be coming out in September. So get those pre-orders in now. <laughs> we were uh, we were just talking about how she was, um, well, during the break, we were talking about how uh, she's had resistance from uh, when she goes speaks at other schools and things like that um, from alumni that have uh, come out as gay or uh, or whatever, and now trying to be activists against her. And um, one of the one of the issues I think that the church has really tried to grab onto to kind of be, I don't know, more open minded, more reasonable, or whatever it is, is somewhere in this same sex orientation idea where they feel that this is an orientation. And when I ask people about that, they will say, well, this orientation will always be my temptation. Right. And, and so it's just my battle. It's just my battle. It's who I am. It's my temptation. And so I would like to, to know, Rosaria, how do you distinguish between an orientation and a temptation? Right, right, right. Well, first of all, we are so sloppy with our categories, right? And, you know, mm. I just... We it, it's it's it really will be the demise of the broad evangelical church. I am confident mm. of that. Um, but first of all, there we don't have. There's no such thing as a sexual orientation. We have a sin orientation, mm. and everybody has a sin orientation. And homosexuality is a um, it is indeed an extreme kind of sin. Mm. It, it it is a very it's one of the bigger sins. Sin does mm. have categories of of heat to it mm. and any sin that attacks a creation ordinance is those are the biggies mm. but its category is the same it, it's not a, it's not it's a separate category it's not mm. as though you've got lying stealing cheating and then you've got homosexuality and that's a separate category it, mm. it you know it, it it's only a separate category because um the Bostock and obergefell supreme court cases have codified this particular sin as a grace and a civil right. Mm. And now we live in a land that does that. And as Christians, we need to be ready to defy that at every, mm. at every level. Um, but when you have this kind of internal rumbling from supposed gay Christians, um, I, I think that those are who are in the camp of the winsome is our end goal. Mm. We'll never, you know, you, you, you 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 just you you know you just have to lose the battle so so we are all oriented towards sin in um in our fallen adam mm. and then our job because it is our responsibility is to fight that sin and mm. to mortify that sin john owen yeah. talks about the we are to mortify and vivify so we are to mm. kill the sin and live in christ and live in the power of the holy spirit and mm. And if we have to kill the sin five million times a day, then we do it. And you know, it it is um, everyone, everyone, you know, every conscious uh, Christian. Before you even, when you wake up in the morning, before your alarm even goes off, you you're thinking about praying 
that the Lord would protect you from those things that you don't want to fall into today. Mm. Well, those are not temptations. Yeah. A temptation is not an internal hook mm. for something that God hates. Mm. That is a sin. Yeah. A temptation is an outside, um, you know, assault, something that just takes you off. Now, I'm going to quote from a book I really like here, The New Reformation Catechism on Human Sexuality by mm. Christopher J. Gordon. It takes the Heidelberg Catechism and rewrites it for, for really the sexually broken. Um, and so the, here's question number 19. Isn't there a difference between temptation and the practice of evil desires, or as you said, orientation. Mm. Um, and the answer is God requires that we avoid entering into all forms of temptation. Temptation is not a sin when it originates from outside of us. Temptation becomes a sin when we entertain and welcome the sinful desire of our hearts and act upon them. And um, Genesis 3, 6, 4, 6 through 8, 2 Kings 5, 20 to 27 um, are some of the the scripture uh, proof texts for this. That is so helpful because I think that when it comes to killing sin, I like that you brought that up by John Owen, who is famous for saying, uh, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Mm -hmm. um, this idea of killing it. Um, isn't it true that even as a soldier who learns how to kill, uh, learns to kill strangers, and there is there's is a lot easier to kill a stranger than someone you know and someone you have affection for, right? And so, right. is isn't it true that it's harder to kill a sin when you've grown affection for that sin? A absolutely, and I think that's the whole revoice gay Christian movement. You know, they. They discovered their inner desires in the, some kind of the same way that you might discover a little stray kitten, you know, outside and, and, and you bring it in and you feed it and you realize, oh, you know, it's not just a regular kitten, it's a tiger, but mm. it's little and it's sweet and it's got stripes and, you know, you're going to be smart about your tiger though. You're going to buy it a collar and a leash and, you know, and then three <laughs> months later it eats you alive because that's yeah. its job. That's right. That's so, its nature. That's its nature. It does what it was intended to do. And so mm -hmm. we have to come to the place. And I think this is extremely hard for people who are struggling against homosexual desires right now. You're living in a world where the church said, I don't like you're just you're probably just feeling like you're torn apart by wild horses. Mm -hmm. But you have to know that the Bible knows you better than you know yourself. Mm. You have to know that you have to believe that and you have to be more deeply in the word than you are these, you know, these um, almost Christian feminist blogs mm. that pop up like, you know, dandelions in the spring. So you, know, <laughs> you, 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 you have to do that. And so um, and so I think it sounds very basic, but, um, mm. the, you know, the the last section of the book is really about things like how to stay connected to loved ones without becoming indoctrinated mm. by them yeah. and how to read the Bible, mm. how to read the Bible, really believing that it knows you better than you know yourself. Well, would you say, and this is, you know, I don't know what this, what the temptation of homosexuality is like, but I do know the temptation 
of sexual sin and other things like that. And it seems to me there are people who say that they hate the sin um, and they've been fighting it and they hate it. Do you think that there's a difference between hating how it makes you feel and the situation it has put you in as opposed to hating the actual sin. Could you explain yeah, that a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely. And if I could just flesh out one thing, though, one of the challenges we have when we try to set up an analogy is if the analogy isn't quite right, the explanation isn't quite right. So um, heterosexual sexual sin is a sin of practice. It is not a sin of pattern. Mm. Homosexual sin is a sin of both practice and pattern. Mm. And so that's why I think we need to, on the one hand, understand that sin is sin, but on the other, be willing theologically to look at each sin according to the thing it wants you to betray about yourself, mm. because it's going to be a little different. Mm. And so I think that's part of why um, you know, failing to understand that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden, that the creation ordinance has bearing on the gospel, hmm. um, becoming just sort of silly New Testament Christians has created this, 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 you know, playing field for gay Christianity. Hmm. Um, because it, it doesn't recognize that God makes, God creates with a pattern in mind. Yeah. The pattern that God had in mind is one man and one woman. Mm. And there is nothing wrong if the, for the people who are listening and you are struggling with or maybe losing your battle with homosexual desire. It is right to pray that God would make you desire the right things. Mm. And it is important to acknowledge that you are desiring the wrong things. Not only would it be wrong for you to practice it, but you are desiring the wrong things, mm. pattern and practice. And to your question though, yes, you are not only to be upset or concerned or sh maybe ashamed of or just conflicted about the consequences of your sin, but you are to see the way that it, it jeopardizes your own image bearing of a holy God. Mm. That you are to grow in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And so any sin that you are that you are courting and you are coveting and you are you are allowing to flourish is indeed violating your ability to do exactly what god has called you to do knowledge yeah. righteousness and holiness isn't it true that a lot of the and we only have about a minute left but wouldn't you say it's true that a lot of the kind of compromise that has happened has happened because we're trying to see where the edges are of how far we can go as opposed to am I offending my God? Do I really care about that? Is that really something that bothers me deeply? Um, and, I, and I think we are deeply bothered when, when we are hurt or even when people we know are hurt, but it's very difficult for us to think about how bothered I am when God is offended. Um, do you think that is a that's typical of, of this kind of thing? Yep, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's pride and it really comes into focus when our children are involved. Yeah. Well thank you so much, Rosaria, for being with us. I really appreciate 
Uh, you uh, taking the time to be with us it has been great being with you. Thank you so much.